Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by a person who, in her native Argentina, started out as a ballet dancer, classically trained, then came to Broadway as a dancer on Broadway for a number of years, then became a choreographer, now a director and choreographer. Graciela Danielle, welcome to Downstage Center. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Well, we'll get into your whole life history in a moment, but you have a show currently running at the Mitzi Newhouse Theater at Lincoln Center um, called Bernarda Alba, based on the play the House of Bernardo Alba, and that was a very serious, heavy play. Now it's a musical. How does one make that into a musical? Michael John LeCuser, of course, wrote the music and lyrics. So how does one, as a director, choreographer, transfer that into a, into a musical, not a comedy? Yeah, well, <laughs> By any well, means. Yes, I, I think that, uh, first of all, because I wasn't born in America, my idea of musical theater is perhaps less um, defined than what you have in America, which is musical comedy, musical theater. For me, I was born in Argentina. I I worked in Europe for a long time. And therefore, musical a musical theater is musical theater, encompasses everything, not just light entertainment. Mm. Therefore, starting from there, in my work with Michael John, I... Um, I was uh, dared by him, and I dared myself to 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 do um, pieces based on great uh, literature and plays. And uh, when uh, I was at Lincoln Center, I've been at Lincoln Center as a resident director for a while, and Andre Bishop, who is the artistic director of Lincoln Center, many years ago asked me to um, direct the play of Bernardo Alba. And I said no, because I had done Blood Wedding in English, and I felt that somehow the translation into English um, is not really beneficial to Lorca poetry. And therefore, when, when Andre asked me to do the play, I said no. Then Michael John came and said, I'd like to do a musical piece based on Bernard Alba. And when I listened to the score and the lyrics, I realized that even though the text is still English and good translation, um, the poetry was of Lorca was coming, filtering through the score. And therefore, that's why I said yes. Now, how do you get to do it? You have to ask Michael, Michael John, because he's the one who did the structure and mm-hmm. presented it to me. For me, Bernardo Alba wasn't necessarily that difficult because it is my culture. It's my, uh, you know, it's my roots. Um, I had... Um, 11, 10 great aunts and uh, a grandmother who were from Spain and who were a little bit like Bernarda <laughs> when they uh, they came to Argentina and thank God they changed. You know, <laughs> the, the kids and grandkids made them change. But this, the, the culture, this, the, the strict uh, discipline and religion was all there. So it was easy for me to go back there and take my memories and put them into the play. Well, for those not familiar with it, we should explain that Bernarda Alba is the central character played quite well by Felicia Rashad. And she is a very, to say the least, domineering person and mother of five daughters who are all grown daughters, not not children. Mm -hmm. And uh, she basically rules the household with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lorca wrote this play, uh, I believe in the 20s, and uh, it was never uh, played um, in Spain while Franco was alive, because everybody felt that it was very much uh, 
anti-government, talking about tyranny and dictatorship. Of course, he never talks about that during the play. He just uh, manages to explain what uh, the silence imposed by a tyrant and uh, can really deconstruct human nature. Because these five women, who, as you said, you know, the youngest, I think, is 20, the oldest is 40, are sort of buried in this house. And they are unable to go out to have a life of their own. And little by little, of course, they disintegrate, as is, is true of a family or a country. So it's a, it's a serious, it's a very serious theme, yes. Mm-hmm. You you spoke earlier about the fact that Michael John created the piece and you worked with the structure he created, but it's certainly not your first collaboration with Michael John. You've done Marie Christine, Little Fish, uh, Hello Again. Now, at this point in your relationship, when do you come into the process with him? Did he tell you he was going to do this and wanted you to do it and then came back months later and showed you what he'd done? Or is there more of a free-flowing collaboration at this point? In this particular case, it hasn't been the same case in uh, every show that we have done. But in this particular case, he came with uh, a text and, uh, and a score, which was actually quite finished already. And we did a... a like a small reading, a workshop at Lincoln Center. And then we discovered that uh, he needed more of uh, Lorca in the book. He needed to go deeper and in a sort of way more show more the brutality of this family and of this character. And so we worked together. I, looking at the Spanish Lorca in my hands, because that's my first language, of course, and him with a very good translation. And we started, you know, um, uh, working together in bringing more of this culture into the text. And to jump back, how did you first begin collaborating with Michael John, and how has that evolved? Well, that was, well, again, it's a a totally different thing. I was doing, um, I have to go a little back in history. I was doing at Playwrights Horizons, which is a, you know, it was a little theater, still exists, but in the non-profit for 42nd Street. And I did um, Once on this Island there, and there is where I met Andre Bishop, who was the artistic director of Playwrights Horizons, and Ira Wiseman, who was the, in the musical department. And then when they moved to Lincoln Center, they asked me to come as a resident director. Well, I had never been a resident director, and I didn't know what it entailed, and neither did they. <laughs> so when the first meeting we had, Andrea said, well, why don't we start by, you know, just go home, think about anything that you want to do, and come, and then we'll put you together with writers. And I said, oh, I don't have to go home. I have a truck full of uh, ideas. And the first one that came to my mind was Schnitzler uh, La Ronde, because I always had, I thought that it would make a wonderful chamber uh, musical. And uh, and Ira Weissman said to me, oh, I think I have the right person for you, f- to write it. And he sent me a demo um, uh, of Michael John's work on uh, something that he never got rights to do it, but some excerpts of uh, the salad of the, sa- the, I'm sorry, the ballad of the sad cafe. And uh, I... I heard it and I thought, this is it, this is the man. And we met, and I immediately fell in love with his uh, 
uh, incredible energy. He's like a volcano. Ideas just come out of him, and he's very fast and, you know, very creative and daring. And that's how we started. And so he created Hello Again out of La Ronde, and that was our first collaboration. You have had several sustained collaborations, really all, it seems, for the most part, through the aegis of Andre Bishop, Lincoln yes. Center Theater. Um, again, the next being Bill Finn. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about when you first came to the work of Bill Finn? Because that might yeah. have preceded Lincoln Center. Yes, it did. It did. As a matter of fact, the, the first time that I met Bill was when uh, I was choreographing the Pirates of Penzance at the Delacorte Theater with Joe Papp. And it had not gone to Broadway yet. And uh, Bill Finn came and introduced himself and in his inimitable way. He says, you have to come to my studio. I want to play some songs for you. And I thought, okay, fine. I had seen, uh, I think I had seen Falsettos already. I can't remember if Falsettos had, had been already done or a workshop or something. I knew it, his it work. It would have been right around the time of March yes. and Falsettos and yes. trousers would yes. have already been yes. done. So I knew his work and I'm, you know, I loved his work. So I went to his studio and, uh, and he started playing, banging on the piano and screaming at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Uh, almost unintelligible inte- uh, to me, some of some of the, the the some songs, and I just thought this is this is fantastic. I said, "What do you want to do with it?" And he says, "I don't know. I was hoping you would tell me." And that's how we started. And then uh, years later, um, Mark Lamus, who was then the director of uh, the artistic director of uh, Hartford Stage, asked me to put together for the first time the two pieces that James Lapine and Bill Finn had collaborated in, which were uh, Falsettos, Marches of Falsettos and Falsetto Land. And so that's when I started working with uh, with Bill because he wanted to do that, James and, and James Lapine and Bill Finn wanted to do that for a long time. So I was the first one who put them together over there. So I started working with Billy there. And then we did uh, other shows together, A New Brain, and then Elegies, which was the last one that I did with him. And we've been friends for friends for years. Well, we're kind of going at your life in reverse order. Yes. Well, I don't <laughs> so, mind that. <laughs> but but uh, uh, you know, let's start at the very beginning, to yes. borrow a line from The Sound of Music. Uh, you were only seven years of age in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, mm-hmm. and you went to basically ballet school for the next seven or eight years mm-hmm. to become a mm-hmm. classically trained ballet performer. Yes. And then you performed in Europe for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm, I'm getting it right so far. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> then, I left Argentina very young with my mother. Yeah. And, and, I, and I read somewhere that at this point you didn't speak any English, and you in Paris went to see a performance of West Side Story. You got it. <laughs> and that, that kind of changed your life. Yes, it did. I was I was actually working in uh, in Europe for a long time, I mean for four or five years, and I had been in a tour with a company, I can't remember, even the Jean Babillet, somebody, Roland Petit, somebody, and I came back to Paris where I was living in that time. But as a ballet dancer. A ballet dancer had never done anything else. Mm -hmm. And uh, and a friend of mine said, you have to go to the Théâtre de la Lambra. It's the last performance of this incredible American thing. I said, well, I I, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, musical comedy. (laughs) There we go, right? I I said, frankly, except for what I see in the movies, I've seen the movie. I've never seen anything. He says, oh, no, no, this is different. You have to go. So I went, and it was on the standing room only. And uh, West Side Story started, and I remember that they had um, 
oh, how do you call it? Uh, um, the words that come up in French, you know. Um, the super titles? Super titles, yes, that's right. That's the correct. And they were in French. So I started uh, looking at it. So it was being performed in English? In English, yeah. yes. Though with French titles, and you spoke French? Yes. Yeah. I, I spoke French, Italian, Spanish, but mm-hmm. not English. Right. I mean, very little English. Mm-hmm. So I started for the first, I think that for the first two minutes, I looked up. And then I was totally immersed in the piece. And I don't, the only thing I remember is that I left the theater and uh, I crossed to the river, to the Seine, and I sat. And I said to myself, I want to go there to learn how to do it. You want to go to New York? Uh, To New York, yeah. I want to learn how to do this. I had no intention or dreams of working here. I just wanted to come here and study how to do that. Because I was, you know, perfectly happy in Paris working. I had my apartment there. So I did. So I came uh, I came with very little money and I just asked before I came to New York, I asked who were the best teachers of modern dance, jazz, you know, everything. And I, I wanted to see shows and all that. So I did come, and I went to a teacher who they recommended as the best jazz teacher. His name was Matt Maddox, and he was the disciple and, you know, assistant and uh, the one who, who, who really taught the technique of Jack Cole, who may, very few people remember. He was the creator of jazz dance. Who you created a brilliant tribute to along with Cheetah Rivera. Thank you, in, yes. In Cheetah Rivera Dancer's Life. Yes, I, I just, you know, so I learned the technique of Jack Cole through mathematics, but there's my luck, as usual. I'm so lucky, I'm fortunate. Um, I was, I was, it, this was September of 63, and one month later, Matt Maddox said to me, you know, I'm, I'm choreographing a show on Broadway. And uh, and I need like a big um, ballet, nine minutes ballet, and and I would like you to. Uh, and it's, 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 it's you know it's a little role. The, the role was uh, uh, Rita Rio. I mean, a South American bombshell, whatever. Uh-huh. But she had to be a ballet dancer. And you kind of dance. fit the, the part. And yeah. this is in this is in what makes Sammy wrong. Yes. Right? And so I said, yeah, I had no idea of any. I said, but I don't speak English. He says, doesn't matter. He said, they need somebody like with a very strong accent, and you only have like three lines. So I went and I did it, and that's how we went into Broadway. So I d- the, the extraordinary thing is, believe me, I never expected to stay. Mm. And all of a sudden, this happened. And well, as I understand what you're saying, you came because you were intrigued by this form of theater yes, you weren't familiar with. Yes. And you kind of just kind of fell into it by yes, making these contacts. by accident or by, by you yeah. know, by luck. I don't know. Well, it, it also strikes me, maybe this is youth, um, being kind of a gutsy move. You didn't really speak English. You moved to New York City. You said, yes. I'm going <laughs> to learn about theater. Well, but that's true. I mean, I've always done that in my life. I'm, ve- I'm very bold, you know, <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love to. I always feel like even now that I'm so much so old, I feel like if somebody knocks at the door, I open it and says, "Grazie, do you want to come out and play?" And I go, "Okay," <laughs> because if it's something new, it's uh, it's always inspiring, and you know. But in those days, your fortune continued uh, as a performer when um, you were cast in Promises, Promises. Yes, and that was another. Uh, fortunate thing because I was doing in that time I was in the chorus of a show which was which was based on East of Eden 
and it was called Here's Where I Belong. And I remember in those times, I still uh, uh, read uh, reviews, and it says, it said in the New York Times, Here's Where I Belong. It doesn't. <laughs> so, so it closed in one day. However, uh, I was assisting Tony Mordente, and uh, who had been uh, brought in to replace Hanya Holm. And so assisting him, uh, I got to know him. And then the day after uh, I, we closed, a phone rang, and it was uh, somebody called Michael Bennett. And I didn't know much about Michael Bennett. And he said, well, um, you know, I want you for a new show. I said, well, I, I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, well, listen to me. Just listen to me. This, this is called Promises, Promises. And is written by Neil Simons, and I am choreographing, and as the music is Burbank, right? and I have to tell you, I was so ignorant in that time, and I, I you know, I, I think I knew who Neil Simon was, but I didn't understand too much of it. So I said, well, when do you want me to audition? He says, well, I, you don't have to audition, because Tony Mordente, with whom he had been in West Side Story, of course, both of them were in West Side Story, um, brought me to see a preview, and I saw you on stage, and I want you. In, in, in this show. Uh, in the show. Here's, in here's, that, here's, here's where I belong. In the Here's Where I Belong, yeah. which didn't. You what, know? Fortunately, had some previews for him to see. Uh, it. Fortunately, Even though yes. it only closed in, in yes. one day. And then closed. I started in Promises, Promises, and I became assistant to Michael Bennett, uh, the woman assistant. Bob Evian, of course, was always his assistant. And I did several shows with him, yeah. Now, you said when you came over, you just wanted to learn yes. about that. When was it learning it as being a dancer, or was the light that went on when you saw West Side Story that I want to be a choreographer, and so you saw yourself apprenticing yourself to people like like a Michael Bennett as an assistant? Not really. I I didn't think I was going to be a choreographer until they told me that I could be, and and by they I mean the great choreographers that I assisted, and ex- including. Michael Bennett, and that they helped me and nurtured them. I had no idea that I could be. One of the reasons why I wanted to come here and and really learn, um, I thinking back now, uh, how to do that is because perhaps in my career as a ballet dancer, which I was since I graduated 16, 17 years old until I was 23 when I came here, uh, in that time, which was the you know late 50s, beginning of 60s, um, the the Ballet was not as contemporary, modern, and daring as it is now. It, so I, I was a little tired of doing what we call the Ballet Blanc, like Giselle and Swan Lake. And something in me wanted more. Something in me wanted to act a character as opposed to have superb technique and just be within the, the limits of, of uh, the discipline of the ballet. So I was always... The, the th- in the roles that I did as a ballerina, it was always my favorite ones were the character ones, like three-cornered hat and, you know, a- anything that demanded to create a character. And, uh, and unfortunately, as I said, in those times, uh, that was not practiced too much in the ballet. Well, now it is. It's, it has changed. It has, you know, come ahead into that. But um, so I think that the, my impression of when I saw West Side Story was that it was the first time in my life that I had seen such an incredible uh, classic, Romeo and Juliet, adapted to, um, uh, to, to a time that we were living through and performed by these extraordinary dancers. I mean, they were the best in the most, with the most extraordinary choreographer, Jay Robbins. And it was not all just about steps. 
every single movement on that stage meant something. It was a language, it was a, a vocabulary in which to uh, tell the story and create emotions and make you think. And I think that that's what I was attracted to. Uh, you know, that, that's what made me go, oh, my God, I have to, I have to learn how to do that. And, and you see the, the, the dancers really as actors yes. acting out the story yes. as opposed to just dancing steps. Yes, all my life I have been like that. I mean, I'm, uh, even perhaps when I was a child and I wasn't aware of it, you know, mm-hmm. but that's what uh, I, I feel like when people ask me, what, what does dance have to do to you? I say, you know, uh, Technique always, I'm in awe of it, and I respect it very much. But I want dance to do what theater does. I want dance to move me. So, theater does. so when you come into a project, then, when at what point do you start thinking about the steps? Do you first understand the story first? Yes, definitely, and the characters definitely. Mm-hmm. The steps are the steps are like notes. Mm-hmm. You know that you 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 have so many, and can, you can make any kind of a combinations, but it's the, it's the story that has to be told that is important, and, and the language in which it has to be, and the style in which it has to be told. So I always work, I think I always work from a directorial point of view first, and then put the steps into it, put the words into it. Right, yeah. Because the steps can, can be changed to interpret the story. Absolutely, and they should be changed, for, for me at least. I, 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 this is not a dance world, this is theater, and therefore, for instance, if I get a dancer or an actor and I create a combination for them and they don't look good at doing them, they feel uncomfortable, doesn't look good on them, why should I insist in doing what I think is good or I think is I want to do what they look good so that they can forget about the steps and perform the character really. I, I, I've asked people who've worked with you people yes. who've worked as actors dancers with you to, to talk about working with you and they say oh she's a dream Gracias, <laughs> just a, a dream to work with and that you basically say children go ahead and play and you oh, give yes. them freedom to oh, do yes. To find themselves, oh, yes. to find their role. Yes, well, most of all, I learned that a long time ago from the good directors that I work uh-huh. with. Not, not so much the choreographers, except for, for Fosse. Fosse had a, a, an incredible way. I remember when I did Chicago with him, the first thing that he did when he created all that jazz, the prologue, to, mm-hmm. to, we were there, and then he, the first thing that he said is, go to that uh, trunk and pick up anything you want from it. And there were hats and canes and feathers and, you know, garters. And so every, all of that just became something that we wanted. And uh, and then he says, okay, just uh, uh, open up. He didn't say go right, go left, just open up. And so he said, okay, so I, I'm going to give you some pictures. And uh, pictures, meant, he meant certain positions of the body, like Charleston. That would be one position. Mm-hmm. He didn't do the step. He just showed us, this is Charleston. This is Black Bottom. This is, you know, so, so it was like photographs. Uh-huh. And then he said, now, choose one. I, I said, I want shimmy. <laughs> so, for, 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 so what, what did you choose as your prop? A hat, a garter? What, did I, you what I chose was a little uh, a cap with a, with a feather and a garter. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what I had uh-huh. in the show. I, I'm talking about the original one, you know, 1974, right. yes. That's exactly as, <laughs> as a Patricia uh, Zipret, who was the costume designer, took what we chose and put us in those. Because, you see, that is allowing the actor 
in us, in the dancers, and of course the actors, to start creating together. Now, now as a director and a choreographer, I have to confess that many times I know exactly what should be done, but I don't say it. Mm-hmm. I just guide them into it. To the, let them kind of discover. Exactly. And is that different? One sometimes has the image of, you know, probably from films, you see a movie like All That Jazz, the sense that, that the choreographer or director-choreographer really were these these very demanding, specific vision, do this, go here, do that. Is some of what you do perhaps a little in response to maybe some some of what what you had when you were dancing and yes because some of them are or, or were at least like that you know I, I, especially in the ballet world you don't improvise in the ballet world you know so um, so I was used to that so you in, know, in, to, to uh, rigidity so in the ballet world the choreographer says here's what I want yes. you to do you dance exactly the way they tell you yes most uh-huh. of the time I don't know now you know I have left ballet for 40 right. something years so I don't know maybe, maybe mm-hmm. so. when I have a uh, uh, choreographed ballets he, even here I allow that kind of freedom too I think it's a, it's, it's a way of uh, attacking the work uh-huh. in a different way you know but quite a bit different than your style of working now with dancers and actors mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, yes. you said before that you really weren't thinking about being a choreographer until these mentors told you you should be a choreographer mm-hmm. when did you first make the leap uh, Not, oh my God! Let me let me think for a second. Well, first of all, I have to go back a little bit. When I started um, assisting Michael Bennett, he opened my, in my work with him. He opened uh, a, a window to the world, and I, I felt like for many years as a dancer, I had been watching myself in the mirror, only myself, not to admire myself, but you know, to make myself better, like we dancers do. And then all of a sudden, the mirror was behind me, and I could see the entire world. And it was sort of an incredible liberation that I had. I adored it. But I didn't know that I had the talent, if you understand what I mean. I loved that leap into creativity, into trying to do something out of nothing or just a word or just a piece of music. Then when I, uh, then uh, while I was working with, uh, with Michael Bennett... Uh, there was a show, <laughs> it's really funny to talk about that, but it was extraordinary. It was called The Millican Show. The mm-hmm. Millican Show was actually an industrial that was done in uh, in the spring for a month at the Waldorf Astoria. And it was uh, actually a textile company that makes rugs and clothing and, you know, and, and fabrics and all that. So they had created this extravaganza which um, hired the best dancers in New York and in America. They used to fly in just to, you know, there were breakfast shows for buyers that mm-hmm. came from all over. And, uh, and, and so there were like 12 production numbers in which the dancers uh, danced and had to wear clothes. So it was really complicated. You know, you had, you know, 10 seconds to change to something like that and announce the, the clothing and all that. So... And it was done like at 7 o'clock in the morning where we were all still asleep screaming, Milligan, Milligan, you know, <laughs> to these people. Anyway, I started as a dancer with Michael Bennett, who was choreographing it. And then I stayed there. Even when Michael went away, uh, I believe it was Alan Johnson uh, 
who came in, and Michael said she's a terrific assistant. Get you know, keep her because she knows the the machinery. And so I stayed with her, and I did it assisting assisting Alan Johnson, assisting Peter Gennaro, assisting Danny Danny Daniels, Michael Bennett. All of a sudden, after like five or six or seven years of doing it, being in the show plus assistant, they asked me to choreograph it. And that was like the big, huge break. I was so scared. Not because of the kids, not because of the dancers, because they were extremely helpful, because, you know, one of them, one of the chorus kids were going to, you know, <laughs> choreograph. So they, they gave me so much support. But it really scared me because together with all these dancers, they used to hire the most extraordinary stars, one for each number. So all of a sudden, I had to choreograph for Ginger Rogers. I had to choreograph for Ann Miller. I had to choreograph for Sid Charisse. <laughs> I had to choreograph for Donald O'Connor. For Ray Bulger, for Van Johnson, for Cheetah Rivera, for Tommy Tewitt. I mean, it was just like, it was awesome. Were, were, were you intimidated by this? These yeah, well, big names? I, I, wouldn't you? I would think so. <laughs> I still am I would, now. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, however, I went to Bobby then, uh, Fossey, and I said, how am I going to do this? And he said, you're going to be okay. Uh, because both, you know, Michael Bennett first and then Bobby helped me enormously in, in just pushing me forward and, mm-hmm. and giving me jobs, you know, when they would be what I do now. I am offered jobs and I can't do them or whatever, and I pass them on to the kids, you know. And that's what they did with me. They're, they were extraordinary, and Alan too. And uh, so Fossey said to me, don't worry about anything. Work with the dancers first. Create the whole number, structure the whole thing, and leave the center alone. Leave the center? Center Uh alone for the star. Uh And then when they come in, do a fabulous work, fabulous work, really do a good work. When they come in, sit them there and let them see it. And let let them see themselves in the center of this Thing. So you would basically have the dancers perform yes. what oh, they would yes. do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So the I star had would oh, see. Because oh, the yeah. star was probably only coming in oh, a couple of days before. Oh, they would come for a couple of days, yeah. you uh-huh. know, or a week or something like that. Uh-huh. But I had the kids for, you know, four or five weeks because it was a really complicated show. It was probably the most complicated things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Not because of the choreography, but because the changes of costumes and, you know, all of that. It was like a machine. So anyway, so that's how I started to choreograph and fortunately it was such a famous event, a spring event in New York that they did one particular breakfast show was inviting the theatrical community and therefore uh, actors and uh, producers, directors writers would come to see the Milliker show Hmm. and that was the exposure after the first one I choreographed I immediately started getting offers to do in that time. There was summer stock, you know, mm-hmm. I did showboat, you know, summer stock and all that. And little by little, I got to, you know, good offers for Broadway. Too. But it was a way for the, you for for you to basically audition, quote unquote. For yeah, these I, I didn't have to audition. Yeah. I, I just but, showed I the work, which was extraordinary. Because right now, for instance, it's very hard for the young choreographers. Uh, how do you, how do you show? 
what you can right. do if there is right. no opportunity. Now they're auditioning by saying, well, give me a tape of something. Well, that means money. That means that this young choreographer, some of them extraordinarily talented, they have to get a room, they have to do music, they have to get dances, they have to pay in order to audition. That is really terrible. I mean, it's really hard. I didn't have to go through that because Milliken was my showcase, yeah. and that's that's how it started. And the the uh, Milliken shows were very very well known within the, the fabric business yes. and uh, very big budget productions. So oh they, yes, so they they, they expected <laughs> everybody the best. made good money on those oh, shows. Oh yes, I bought my house in the country with it. <laughs> <laughs> so so. Then you come into your own as a choreographer, and certainly by you know the the late seventies, early eighties, shows like uh, Revival of the Most Happy Fella, The Pirates mm-hmm. of Penzance, Zorba, The Rink, Mystery of Edwin Drood. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a terrific run in in a fairly short yes. space of time. Yes. Then you decided. You were yet ready to be more, or did someone else decide you were yet ready to be more? Well, again, you know, it's just like I'm not quite uh, guilty of what I have done. <laughs> um, it, it, it seems to me always that it is connected, looking back, it's connected to what I am doing in the moment seems to me like it's not enough, not because I'm ambitious about doing more, but because it feels like I'm not being demanded as much as I think I could do. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so anyway, so so choreographing was absolutely wonderful, and I was, you know, very successful and very thankful. But I felt like something was missing that still was limited, especially in the Broadway or show business choreography is quite limited, in, at least in those times, what we could do. So just by chance, again, um... I was doing uh, Max Ferrar, who was the head of uh, a Hispanic organization called INTAR. It's another small theater, 42nd Street. Um, asked me to do um, a little musical workshop for some people, which I did. And then he took me to his office and he said, why don't you come up with something? Why, what, what kind of an idea you have? What would you like to do? We, we can get you some, you know, a little money to develop something. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, like a musical piece, something. And I, 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 I don't know. All of a sudden, it was like the entire universe opened in front of me. I had no idea because nobody had asked me that. Up to, up to then, they had sent me scripts and music. I read them, I listened, and I said yes or no as a choreographer. This was creation from zero with nobody telling me what to do. And I, I thought, I, I, I don't know how to start. So he says, why don't you t- talk to our dramaturg? He, their, their dramaturg in that time, his name was Jim Lewis. And we became great friends. And he said to me, uh, he asked the right question. He said, okay, you have to work. For this, you have to work with a living uh, Hispanic or Latin composer or writer. Who would you like to work? Or, or music, you know, composer or lyricist or whatever. One that is a living one. Who would you like to to work with. And I said, Astor Piazzolla. In a second, Astor Piazzolla, having been, he, he was an Argentinian, who was created tango, elevated, I think, elevated tango into this universal kind of music that the real, real tango from Argentina never quite 
gave. He was extraordinary. He was a mixture of, uh, he was very eclectic. I mean, he knew tango better than anybody else, but he had studied jazz here, and he had studied classical music. He was very baroque. So I, he makes all these things. So since I was a little child, I loved his music. I like he played the bandoneon, which is like an Argentinian accordion. So I said, oh, Astrofiazola. So Jim said, well, evidently you want to do something about Buenos Aires because it's about tango. I said, yes. He says, and, and so let's say that I said, I said, but you never get asked to. I said, well, don't worry about that. Dream first. And then he says, so who do you think should be the writer that you adapt something on? Because I wasn't going to write. I'm not a writer. So I had to adapt. And immediately I said, Jorge Luis Borges. And, and, I, and he said, oh, I see. I said, well, first of all, I mean, his short stories deal with all this, you know, atmosphere of tango in turn of the century, beginning of the uh, 20th century. So that's how Tango Apasionado was born. I got a bunch of kids. I got Astor Piazzolla to write the music. Unbelievable. He came from Paris, came home, sat in my chair, sat at his feet, adoring him. And he says, uh, and I had already done a sort of, a, um, you know, a, what do you call it? Not a script, but beat by beat. I, I used an to call outline. it. An outline. Yes, an outline. Yeah. And it was, you know, some of it was text by Borges and some, some was, you know, dance. Most of all was dance. So he wrote the music. So we did a workshop. AT&T came to see the workshop and gave me money to do it, do a production at the Westbeth Theater. And it was a huge critical uh, success. I directed, choreographed it, and co-adapted the Borges stories with Jim Lewis. And all of a sudden, the phone started ringing for me to direct. And that's how it happened. It wasn't because I thought I was a director. I still don't think I'm a director because <laughs> I never studied how to be a director. It was just experience of years of working with the best, you know. So it was, again, it was one of those fantastic accidents. Well, it sounds like a, a good deal of your, your career has been just one door kind of opening, then yes. leading to another door to yes. open. Things yes. just kind of falling into place. Yes, that's why I don't panic. Because <laughs> 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 you know, it just feels like everything becomes... I, I do... That, that my transitions have been so extraordinarily easy. I, I, just one thing fell into the other, you know. Which that's, that's the reason why I'm saying I'm extremely fortunate... Plus, I have worked with the greatest, and that's what it's all about. Well, I learned from them. Your, your, your first big Broadway credit as a director and choreographer was Once on the Silent that's with right, Stephen Flaherty yes. and Lynn Ahrens. That's right. And uh, how did you interpret that, that, that whole story? I think that the, the I, I have to tell you, what I, 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 the only thing that I really did, uh, thinking backwards, b besides directing and staging it, was that when they... When they um, sang for me, I adore them. They're still now, tomorrow they are going to sing something new that we started. So I adore when they come home and they start playing for me. I love that. I adore them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they sang some songs for me. And I, some of them just moved me to tears. And I said, I, I don't think that I am the right director because the director has to be clinical. And I'm a mess listening to this <laughs> story. <laughs> so anyway, so we did a, a little workshop at Playwrights Horizons. And the only thing that I really, I feel really, I really contributed with it is that their story was the it's all the story told by narrators that who play the characters too, and originally they were narrating to the audience, and I I said I 
don't think that that's going to work because uh, it's, 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 it's sort of the way that they're talking is just so intimate. I said, why don't we put a child? Why don't we create a child at the very beginning who is scared of a storm or something? I don't know. Lynn probably came up with that. And I said, and they are telling, they are passing on the story to the mm-hmm. child. And then we are part of that you know, passing on the torch, mm-hmm. because it is the you know the tell te- tell the story. That's that's what the first number was about, and I think that's the only real thing that I contributed to it. <laughs> but it began. I mentioned early on these sustained collaborations, and yes. certainly Stephen and Lynn yes. are people you've worked with yes. with over and over, and you worked with them yes. only as a choreo- only choreographing on Ragtime. Ragtime, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then last season, Dessa Rose. Dessa Rose, yes. And maybe but, something new. And we are getting into something else, too. <laughs> yes. But with these these three collaborations, mentioned Bill Finn and Michael John Lacusa, these are all writers of very different styles. Yes. Yes. And yet, you are the constant in these. What, what do you bring to the party with each of them? Besides respect and awe, <laughs> um, I think that uh, uh, what they see in me is the. I love I love variety and uh, uh, and I love I, I'm very eclectic because of my past. You know, just as I said, I wasn't born here, right. so I, I'm extremely eclectic in in the, the things who I am and. Um, and I love, I love telling stories, and I love, um, I love connecting with characters and and going deep into them. And I think that I, you know, I have a, a, a good, I, I do good images because I ca- I come from the choreography world, and therefore it's easy for me. The easiest thing for me is a stage, uh, a show. Being with dance or without dance, because it's uh, it's part of my world, you know, it's dance. So I create images, but I try to create images that tell the story too. So I guess that maybe that's what they like. Plus, I am not, you know, I'm I'm good to work with. I'm I collab- I, I, I'm a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I go home and kick my husband, but <laughs> but I try to maintain a harmonious. You know, I, I just think that there's never one choice for anything. So if I do something and they feel like they don't like it, okay, I have another idea. You know, I'm, I'm the girl with a thousand ideas until we find the right uh, channel for what they wrote. I'm only their interpreter. Uh, you know, as a director and a choreographer, I'm, I'm not creating myself. Well, you, you talk about in Bernardo Alba you having aunts and uncles that are similar yes, to the, yes, the yes, people in the yes. show. In, in that play, you talk about uh, Once on this Island, the music of Stephen Flaherty, the yes. lyrics of Lynn Aaron's moving you emotionally oh, and all God. that. How much of Graciela Danielle gets invested, gets in, involved with the show? In other words, when you decide to do a project, do you look for certain things that appeal to you emotionally before yes. you decide to do it? Yes. And how much do you then get involved emotionally and completely and aesthetically from your own background? <laughs> completely. I mean, I, the one thing that I learned from the great people, too, is I do a lot of what I call pre-production, which is before rehearsals start. I do a lot of research. I read a lot. I go and look at paintings a lot because I, I learned that when I talk to my designers, I can't tell them 
I want this or this or that. But the best way of talking to them is I see, for instance, in Bernarda, I talked to my designers and said, you know, the late works of Goya. And, you know, we talk about that, the lighting. Uh, um, I see the works of Orson Welles in the movies, the huge shadows. And, you know, so I, cre- I talk to them as I talk to the actors, really, uh, about images and feelings more than telling them what to do. Yes. Well, you, you're talking about images, you're talking about shadows, and you talked about going home and kicking your husband. So I have to <laughs> ask. <laughs> we, have to, we have to share with the audience, first of all, that, that your husband is, is the noted lighting designer, Jules Fisher. And I'm wondering what the the knowledge of of Jules's talents and the way that he works, because you you've collaborated, but it's not as if every show you do no. suddenly is a Jules Fisher show at all. So I'm wondering what what has been the give and take between you and Jules, especially as because you met him back when you were a dancer, as yes, I recall, in Chicago. We met when we were doing Chicago. Yeah. So so as your career has evolved what has has his visual sense well brought to you? i uh, I'm, I'm i have to confess and this is a very private thing but i have to confess that uh what i give to him has nothing to do with his genius <laughs> what i take from him it has a lot to do with whatever i do yes what he what he taught me without being a teacher was the power of light the the fact that light is like dance, that it dances, it moves, it, it breathes, and that without it in the theater, we are rather boring. It doesn't matter how much we do. <laughs> and uh, and therefore, I, I, I learned through just... I'll tell you something very intimate, actually. In the very beginning, when, I, when we were just dating, I remember one day him trying to, because I had no idea, I didn't know anything about lighting whatsoever, and, and when I was asking him some questions, he picked up a candle, and he put it under my face, and he says, look at what, how, what your face has become when the light comes, this is down light. Look at what it does when it's to the side, this is side light, look what it does. And from above, look at what it, the shadows that it creates. That was my introduction to lighting. So when I talk now to him or Peggy, uh, you know... Peggy Eisenhower, yes, his long-time associate Long-time associate, an extraordinary uh, light designer on her own, because I've done a lot of, of shows with Peggy, without Jules, actually. Um, when I talk to them, I really don't have to say down light, side light, or whatever. I just give images. Because of those, you know, those phase, those first things that he taught me about how to see the light and what the power that the light can have on anything that we do in any image. So, so that's so I owe him everything I know, and you know, not only lighting in theater and taste. He's a very tra- tasteful man and an extraordinary husband. And it's not true I kick him. <laughs> I was just exaggerating. <laughs> well, as, as as you're saying this, I'm thinking. A sculptor works with clay. A painter works with paint and a brush. Okay. Your husband works with light, which is yes. doesn't exist. It's just something ephemeral. You can't touch it. You uh-huh. can't hold it. You work with action and movement, which and body. Again, you cannot, and body. which you yeah. cannot hold. So just, yes, your, that's right. Your your husband described to you these properties of light and move the candle around mm-hmm, so you get different mm-hmm. effects. How do you then deal with an actor, with a dancer, to connect with them, to explain to them what is in your mind, to convey to them what, what you're you're trying to get? 
Uh, I talk again. I talk just character. I don't tell them what my vision is because uh-huh. I, I don't. You know, it's funny. I just I, I always get a little nervous when we talk about directors with vision. Well, yes, maybe some some little fragments. You know, I would say I feel like I have a tiny, tiny little proscenium stage in the middle <laughs> of my, and sometimes I see a glimpse of something, but I don't have. A vision, like for instance, I believe that Bobby uh, Fosse had a vision all of his life in what because he was Fosse. I mean, and everything he did had a very specific style, you know. Right, you don't walk I into don't. a Graciela Danielle show no, and say, you, no, you, no. and say that's a, that's her. No, you, I, 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 I can't be. It's a little bit like oh, a little bit. I wish, I wish, but it was what I, you know, my favorite director choreographer has always been. Jerome Robbins and I think that one of the reasons why I loved everything he did in the ballet world and in the theater was because that the only reason I remember writing him a letter one day saying that the only reason why I knew it was Robbins it was because it was perfect mm-hmm. but there was not a specific style he served the piece the person who did with that story, if you didn't, and if you saw a fiddler on the roof, you wouldn't think that it's the same person who did it. There was not a particular style, except that it was perfect, that nobody could have done it any better. Now, did, did, did you ever work with Jerome No, Robbins? I never did. And actually, Cheetah, Cheetah Rivera, who, of course, you know, worked with him in was that story, and my sister for years, um, said to me, maybe you were lucky <laughs> that you did, because as I understand, he was not a very pleasant person to work with. I met him in occasion, and I remember the first time I met him. He was so beautiful, and, you know, in social life, he was, you know, gentle and funny and seducing, and I remember the first time I met him, I opened my mouth, and nothing came out. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was, so I had to write him a letter because I, I was so embarrassed that it was as he you know we all need heroes I think and he has been my hero in my life well you were shaped greatly by Michael Bennett by Bob Fosse yes. do you suppose if you had worked professionally with Jerome Robbins that you would have a different outlook now that things would be different or do you think that no because I tried to emulate him in everything I do uh-huh. <laughs> So, so having having not worked with him wasn't really no, a detriment. No, 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 no. No, I just you know I wish I had because of, you know he was a genius, but but I just I worked I saw his work, so it's like you know I look up to him. I still do. So many of of the shows that that you've done don't fit into the general mold of uh, uh, a formula musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, Bernarda Alba does not. Dessa mm-hmm. Rose did not. Um, how do you see commercial theater versus non-commercial public theater? How do you see formula versus non-formula? Again, well, is that prompted by the story? And yes, I, I, you know, I let let me put it this way: I, I respect commercial theater, and sometimes it can be, you know, very entertaining. And I have done my good balance of it too, and and sometimes I need it because I have to eat. Mm-hmm. But I like the freedom of nonprofit theater, of, of daring new things. I like the fact, you know, in the commercial theater, like you said, you have to, you, you, it's a venue, and you have to provide certain formulas. You have to have your modulation and your retard and, you know, your kick line or whatever, whatever it is. You have, there are certain formulas that I learned again with a great 
teachers. But again, I get bored with that. Uh, doing it myself. I'm not talking about seeing it. I'm saying about doing it myself. So I love I love the challenges. Yes. <laughs> so with Bernarda Alba now on stage, uh, and and maybe a Flaherty and Aaron's musical starting to come together soon with you. Are there other projects that are on the horizon? Yes. Yes. Um, there is a project uh, which is called Pamela's First Musical. Uh, that, Wendy yes. Wasserstein oh my God. and Cy started, Coleman. Yes, oh my so about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, Wendy and Cy Coleman and David Zippel doing the lyrics. Uh, they they sent me. You know, Wendy called me and this this. So we started working together. And this and is based we, on Wendy's children's book yes, of a number fabulous. of years ago. Yes, yes, which is based in, in in true life, in her own you know her own story. And um, so we started working on it, and we had a reading, and we going we were going forward, and then we lost Cy Coleman, and then we retrooped a little you know a few months later, and then we started working again on it, and we had actually a date to do to do it this year, in. California in Palo Alto and then Wendy got sick and we just lost her so it's been a <laughs> it's been a very hard one so now David and I um, have decided that we we need to do it we must do it and everybody wants us to do it so we're going to get together as, as a matter of fact next week after the opening of up after I rest for a little while <laughs> we're going to get together and talk about it because I have to ask, certainly when Sai passed away, the question was, could it continue to be developed? Would would new collaborators come in? Is that even something well, that's in your mind? Well, I have to tell you, as usual with my beloved Sai, there is enough material in what he wrote for this rather small musical to do 10 Broadway shows <laughs> because he was so prolific and he kept on bringing new shows. So we have a lot there we we do have the show we just have to you know structure it a little better just you know clean it up this is what Wendy Devian and I had started you know recently to do until she got sick so so there is a lot um, I, I personally feel that I would like to find a writer who would um, respect very much Wendy's work and help David and I to give the last shape but we are ready because we were ready to, to do it next, this year, this coming year. I mean, November this year. Yeah. Mm. So it is a. But I, I think it's good. I think it's good to that David and I are saying, okay, let's go with this. You know, they work so hard at it. Many of the listeners to this channel are, are young. Uh, they're in school, and some are starting out in the business, so to speak, trying to trying to get the big break. Any sort of advice you'd give to young people, dancers in particular, but actors as well, who are try, trying to get going, trying to get into theater? I know. It's a, it's a tough one. I just have to say that um, one has to continue this. It's just only my experience uh, or myself. I always worked very, very hard at being the best I could do, I could be. Because, and I, even when sometimes things are not going very well, I kept on working hard. I kept on going out there and doing it because you never know when the opportunity is going to pass by and you have to be ready to jump at it. If you let yourself go and that opportunity passes, you might not have it for 10 years and by then you're going to be too old. The other thing that I... I said one of my, what do you call it, maxims or mottos or whatever. It's a, a poem 
that Goethe, the German poet, uh, wrote a few words, and it says, let me see if I can remember it, um, anything you can do or think you can, begin it. Boldness has power, magic, and genius in it. So that's been one of my great things to follow and follow me. Yes. On that Keep note. that in mind. And on that <laughs> note, Graci, Graciela Danielle, thanks so much for being with us and sharing your experiences today on Downstage Center. Thank you. Thanks, Grazi. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online on demand for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you. <laughs>